Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have a legend of a guest. This time, we're not joking. This is Ryan Gilbert. He's going to be telling you his extravagant travel journey. He's been to 72 plus countries. So let's figure out which ones those are. Now, Ryan is from America. He is a jack of all trades, but specifically, he was even working at the same company as a former guest, Phil Anthony. So uh, there's some uh, Fruiting Body Podcast connection there. Today, this podcast is for anyone out there. How can you, you know, you know, have that ideal job and be able to travel the world and, you know, couple that together and, you know, live that dream life? Um, I'm definitely fucking rambling again. So without further ado, let's just get this podcast started. Like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. Uh, we got Ryan Gilbert here. First, thank you so much, buddy, for coming on today. I know it's a bit last minute and you're supposed to do some catering. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh had an opportunity to go on a boat and I uh, thought this would be the better place to be. So, uh, yeah, so to be here. Let, let's jump into that. You've, you've given up, you know, with, with models on a yacht catered to <laughs> come and sit in my lovely studio. Uh, what was that all about today? What, what was going on? Yeah. So, uh, in the last year or so, uh, me and a couple of friends have partnered up and, uh, put together a couple of restaurants on Soy Tayyed. Uh, so we partnered with one of our existing friends that had a uh, Kataturk Shalong and we've rebranded that to Flying Armbor and we've opened up uh, Lucha Cantina, which is an authentic Mexican uh, grill and uh, bar as well. So yeah, we, uh, we ended up doing catering and uh, one of our uh, good friends, he's, uh, he's chartered a boat and he wanted us to cater uh, with some authentic uh, Turkish food. Just so. Turkish, or you'll be doing both Mexican? I think we're doing mainly the Turkish today, yeah. Uh, so he's a Turkish guy, so we give so, him the authentic flavors of home, you know? Pe- people listening out there now, th- that's the first question they're going to ask, and they always wonder, like, people, they've come to Phuket. Now, you're running multiple businesses. We see you traveling the world. You're doing your engineering stuff as well. What connects you to Phuket? I mean, what's always bringing you back here? Because I'm seeing on your Instagram, you know, you're you're looking like a proper influencer, uh, with may- maybe minus the followers. But hey, go check it out. It's <laughs> I don't know if that's like a double shot there. No, but I, I actually was going through your account. It's like fuck. This is really interesting. You're able to work and travel. Can you just tell that part of the story of like how did this all come together and what really connects you to Phuket? Yeah, I mean, obviously, all of us, our Instagrams are the, are the highlight reels, of, you know, so it tells the, the happier parts of the stories. But um, yeah, I, I, I um, obviously grew up in America. Um, I uh, came from outside of Philadelphia, and I always wanted to grow up and be an architect and an engineer. So I was a little nerdy 12-year-old kid and was getting beat up and stuff in and, and, and middle school. But I always kind of dreamed of getting out and seeing the world. And kind of experiencing things, uh, you know, I was always a little bit nerdy watching the news, seeing how the whole world worked. So, you know, I I was a very mediocre student (laughs) and uh, managed to get into like a Penn State satellite campus, which my university has like 100,000 people um, and 20,000 start out at the good university. And then the other 80, we start out at, you know, some halfway houses. so I managed to kind of turn turn my stuff around a little bit there and got into engineering and architecture, uh, did this really nice program that um, left me with $200,000 in debt, but also allowed me to kind of catapult myself into, you know, living abroad. So I, I lived two years in New York after, you know, I graduated, but in those two years I was just itching to get abroad. And uh, thankfully I, I chose to work for an English company 
that had 25, 30 offices all over the world. Um, so yeah, in 2010, I managed to uh, transfer from our New York office to our Dubai office um, to go work on uh, Louvre Abu Dhabi Art Museum, uh, which subsequently went on hold pretty much right when I got to the Middle East. Which uh, year would have this, this been? This was 2010. Oh, oh, sorry, 2010. Wow. Yeah, so I'm, I'm old. Uh, yeah, 39 in two weeks. So. I'm, I'm 38, so hey, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think I got more gray hair hair, but yeah, I, don't worry, I am 38 to the audience. Nice. So you're... You're going out to the Middle East now. Just to like backtrack before we jump into that travel itch. I mean, I'm from Canada. You're from the U.S. Most of us, the, the extent of our travels are the Caribbean, maybe Mexico. Growing up, were you traveling the world? Did you get to see that to to uh, you know to get that itch to want to travel? I honestly, you know, uh, we had, you know, my my parents. Uh, we come from a reasonably modest background. You know, we're solid middle class, but. You know, my mom, she didn't graduate high school, didn't get her GED. Uh, my dad was a car salesman, and he worked in restaurants and catering, and my mom worked in catering and restaurants as well. Um, so growing up, we didn't really go on that many holidays. We went and visited my grandparents in Florida, you know, every once in a while. And we had one big trip when I was maybe 13, 14 to go to Vegas and the Grand Canyon and stuff. So that was really the only trips I took as a kid was a big one to, to Vegas um, I remember it was Easter and my mom won some money at the slot machines and brought up like a hundred dollars worth of candy to share with us. So that was quite cool. Um, but yeah, no, I, the first time I ever left the country, I was 19 in university. I went on a ski trip to Canada and back then you could just go on a driver's license cause that's how old I am. Uh, so I didn't get a passport until I was 21. Um, I studied abroad in the UK, you know, the second again, I got, had a chance to, to get, a, get away and, and, and explore. I, I, I took it. Yeah, it's usually that study abroad where you start to meet other uh, people that have those experience that really turns it on. I went to, I studied abroad in Australia for a year. And after that, it just made me realize like, because the people you meet there too, you meet a lot of international students that are living all over the world. And their stories, you realize quick, like, why would I live in my home country? There's so much opportunity out there. Did you kind of get that experience? That itch might have came from studying abroad? Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was always budding inside me before then. And and this isn't to knock America or anything like that. You know, I always, you know, I love my family. I love where I come from. And, and you know, being, you know, American passport holder, it's, it, I've been blessed. But this is a huge planet and we only have one life. And I, I always just had the urge to see and learn as much as I possibly could. And, you know, when I was in university, the, the, the kids from the English, uh, it was Leeds University, they came over for a year and studied at Penn State, and then we would go and, and go over there. So I already had a friend base, I already had, you know, a support network, and I had friends from my program coming with me. So, you know, six or seven of us, you know, before the semester even started, we did, you know, six or eight weeks traveling around Spain, Italy, you know, France, um, which, you know, isn't that adventurous now that I'm 39 and, and, and all that, but for, you know, a 20 year old kid, um, it was it was pretty wild back before you had cell phones and all that. It was a nice first experience for, you know, American dipping his toes in, in the travel. Uh, and you look back at those travel. It's same with me at those that that time traveling. You, you really look back and think about it like the Google Maps didn't work. Kind of we had Lonely Planet, but it was much more raw and 
I think this question more leads into today when you're traveling and, and going around the difference between the access and you know the access to information. Um, would you touch on like the differences between 2010 when you're traveling or even prior to that to today and like how you kind of even go about your travels, like in terms of planning your next destination, what comes into consideration when deciding? Yeah, I've always been a bit impromptu. Um, and you know, I, 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 am not much of a, a, my job professionally for a very long time was project management and planning and strategy and all of this, but in my personal life, you know, I'm more of a, hey, let's go do something. Um, so back in the day, that w was challenging and it left me sleeping on, you know, in random places, you know, in, on a sidewalk because I didn't plan properly and assumed that I could just jump into any hostel that was available. Um, or couch surfing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so nowadays with, you know, the Airbnbs, hostel world, all of that kind of stuff, it's a lot easier to do what I do without the planning. Um, there was a lot of, I got really good at charades for, for a very long time. I was very good at um, communicating in other languages without actually using any words other than grunts. Um, and I think everybody, you know, learns a little bit of that when you travel around, you know, how to, even now with, with Google Translate in your pocket, it, it's a powerful tool, but at a certain point, you know, going, buck, 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 yeah, uh, we'll get you, get your chicken just as easy. So it's a little bit more fun sometimes. Yeah, to I think in these countries now that they're more access to the information and they're all, all starting to replicate each other in terms of like uh, the tourist destinations, it's definitely becoming overrun. Now, I, I want to jump into more on like the Middle East side. From my perspective, like I've never been to the Middle East as in, I think, like, Dubai, Saudi, that whole area, it's probably last on my list. Um, now, what's the good side of that? Because I did see you traveling, and it looked like there was a, there's a lot of places that are off the beaten path of a tourist that I saw on your Instagram. I'm like, actually, like, that, that kind of changes my whole perspective on I maybe do want to go there. Can you talk about your experience living and traveling in the Middle East? What are the pros and cons, and what can people expect from it? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to take your, your perceptions and, you know, you say it's near the bottom of your list in terms of places to go. I think it really should be moving closer to the top. I think a lot of people have the misperception about the Middle East. You have people that have perceptions about Dubai being very Miami, L.A., plastic and fake. And when you go as a tourist and you only go for a few days and you go to the shopping malls and you go to, you know, the beach clubs and stuff. Yeah, I mean, obviously you're reinforcing that. You know, it's the same thing as if you go to New York and you only go to Times Square so there's a lot of history in the Middle East. Um, you know, it's the birthplace of civilization, you know, Mesopotamia, you know, um, you know, Iraq, this, these areas, it, it, you know, there's so much history, mathematics, you know, Ibn Battuta, one of the greatest world travelers ever came out, came out of the Middle East. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is the hospitality in the Middle East. So I have a lot of Saudi friends, that, you know, I moved, you know, to the Middle East in 2010. And again, coming on Phil, Phil Anthony, him and I, I, my project, the Louvre went on hold basically right when I moved to the Middle East and I got sent to Saudi Arabia. So it felt like a little bit of a bait and switch and coming from America, I was like, what am I getting myself into two weeks in the UAE? And now I'm moving to Saudi. And honestly, Saudi was such a good experience. Me and Phil worked on a construction site with a bunch of other guys on this women's university that was being built, you know, 55 buildings for a giant campus. And this was during, you know, King Abdullah, he was really pushing to, to, to increase, uh, you know, higher education. He built, you know, uh, big cities and trying to get 
younger people jobs. But I think the big thing for me is if you look at Saudi Arabia from back when me and Phil were there in 2010, uh, you know, I just spent the last four years there. Now, the amount of change has just been absolutely incredible. Uh, His His Highness uh, Mohammed bin Salman has been, you know, really pushing the cultural change. And I think that people's perceptions are still of, you know, repressive place where women aren't allowed to drive or this or that, you know, and, and, and that's not the reality on the ground. The reality on the ground is, you know, Riyadh is becoming, you know, similar to Dubai in terms of, you know, culture and restaurants and things like that. But I think the history of Saudi Arabia and, and, and they're really pushing right now a tourism drive. There's absolutely beautiful uh, scenery um, and, and history. The, the pilgrimage to Mecca and Medina that, that a lot of uh, Muslims have done over the last 1500 years, there's uh, this trail that runs along the west coast there. And the project that I was working on for the last four years in, in Neom, the northwest of Saudi Arabia, it's the most beautiful place. The sunrises are unparalleled. Every day uh, you see the sunrise over the mountains and sunsets over the sea uh, to, to Egypt, where Sharm el Sheikh is. The Red Sea is the most beautiful scuba diving. I don't know if you're a diver. Yeah, I dive. Uh, mate, it is the most incredible coral you'll ever see, and it's pristine. You know, it's similar to Sharm el Sheikh and Dahab and the Egyptian side, but a lot less disturbed. You know, it's been a bit untouched. Um, so, you know, the Nebateans that have done Petra, they also have plenty of ruins throughout Saudi Arabia that I went to back in 2010. Nobody there. Now you have places like Alula that have just the most incredible infrastructure that's being built. So it's, it's amazing to see the transformation that's happened in Saudi and the overall, the, the overall Middle East. You know, I've been to, you know, Yemen, um, Socotra, this island off the coast of Somalia. Again, you know, people here, uh, um, here off the coast of Somalia, they hear Yemen, they think, you know, of the civil war. They think before that, when I went there, there was Al-Qaeda, Arabian Peninsula that you had to worry about. But this island, Socotra, is the most beautiful island you'll ever see. It has its own flora and fauna that you don't see anywhere else in the world because it's so isolated. You know, yes, there was Somali pirates refueling on that island, you know, quite recently when I was there. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, you know, an island the size of Manhattan with twenty or 30,000 residents. Most of them are kids, and it's just absolutely beautiful. And everywhere you go, people are really warm and welcoming. But is it easy to travel like when you're in, let's say you're in uh, Dubai or the UAE and you want to go to Yemen and go to these islands is, are the travel routes, they're safe. There's no issues. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, you know, if if you go through, um, certain areas, like, so mainland Yemen right now, there's a little sketch, uh, but there's flights from, you know, Sharjah and Abu Dhabi and Cairo to this, this Island, you know, same thing, you know, I went to Kurdistan and in Iraq absolutely beautiful beautiful country the most welcoming people you'll ever imagine fly to buy goes directly there um so you're kind of just bypassing those land routes anyways yeah i guess similar and, to like sri lanka and there's and there's some really good companies so one of my really good friends in in dubai i actually was just in palestine with him uh he, he's doing stand-up comedy now which is an interesting story but he has this travel company that he's had and i've been friends with him 12 13 years and he arranges these epic trips all over. Um, you know, I've seen some amazing stuff with him. So he helps sort these kind of things out. So if you're feeling a little, 
nervous about what you're getting into. There's, there's, there's providers, you know, his company's called Escape Travels. And, you know, I've been to Ethiopia with him to the tribal regions of Ethiopia where people have like the lip piercings and people are walking around with AKs and stuff. And you're just like, this is interesting. Um, you know, I saw a, a man uh, do a ceremony to become a man from a boy literally running across the back of cows. Um, so, yeah, really blessed to make friends. You know, that's one of the nice things about being in the Middle East. It's the center of the world, right? So you make friends with other people that are really interested in travel. And there's these, you know, companies and, and, and that'll help nurture that, that love of travel. Um, so, yeah, uh, we were just in Palestine. And again, Palestine has a lot of perceptions. You know, Israel, Palestine, there's been a lot of troubles there. And a lot of people in the news hearing about, you know, terrorism or people, you know, being oppressed and, and apartheid going and, and being on the ground there. So my friend that has this travel company, he's... He, he was part of this comedy tour and there was a guy from Saturday Night Live there that, you know, did two years in Saturday Night Live. He's absolutely hilarious. Uh, this guy. Which guy? Uh, Dean Edwards. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he, he was like friends with Kevin Hart back in the day. So I'm sitting there on the bus with him. We bounced between five different cities in, in the West Bank in Palestine. Um, and this guy, Ahmed Ahmed, who was uh, uh, part of the uh, um, Axis of Evil comedy tour, or he was a creator of Axis of Evil comedy tour. So he's an you know Egyptian American comedian, uh, and it was organized by this Palestinian American comedian. So you know people have these perceptions of the West Bank and and the sadness you know of of kind of people being you know relocated from their homes in '48 or, or, or removed from the country entirely and becoming refugees in their own country, but there's still people living their lives, right? So, you know, you, 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 going to these places and going and seeing things, you come to this realization. I think a lot of people in my country in the U.S. don't recognize it. There's a lot of people in power trying to make us all think that these are the others and pin people against each other, that your problems are because of this person and really focusing on people's differences. But when you go and you travel and you see these other places, you see, we're all kind of the same and everybody really just wants to provide for their family, you know, have joy, like see their kids grow up to be better than they are. And, you know, going to, to Palestine and, and, and going and seeing a refugee camp where there's 33,000 people living in this camp designed for 3000 people. And literally the day after 80 people were injured, two people were killed in that camp that I was in, um, because of a raid by the Israeli soldiers looking for, you know, Palestinian you know, um, they militants. would, they would call them terrorists, militants, whatever you want to call them, but basically desperate people that live in a camp designed for 3000, the massive unemployment, they got no jobs, they have no hope. So, you know, seeing that is, 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 is emotional. Um, but then yeah. to go and, into a comedy tour after it's just this range of emotions for five days, that was just incredible. But when you're traveling in these places and you're going to see the extreme poverties and you can see it in Thailand as well, um, does that take a toll? Do you start to, uh, what can I do for them? How can I reach out? And, and do you take any action or how, how do you uh, process that? I mean, yeah, it, it, I, I'm an emotional person, so yeah, there was a lot of crying. I mean, we went to a comedy show, so there was five days of, of laughter in the evenings, but there was crying during the day. Um, and yeah, you always are looking for what you want to, what you can do to help. So you know, my friend with the travel company Escape Travels, he's built schools in Nepal uh, for 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 uh, 
for, for impoverished children, um, you know, the, the comedy tour and bringing awareness and, and, and all of that really is important. I think every individual looks and says, what can I do to help? And the big thing is, I think, you know, individual charity is always, you know, good. Um, but also I think there's pushing people to break preconceived notions and, and pushing people to, to talk to their, you know, their government, you know, our governments have a lot of power and you can talk to your representatives and stuff. So if you're passionate about issues in Palestine or if you're passionate about, you know, say when the tsunami happened, things like that, you know, you can donate, you can raise money, you can volunteer. Um, but also it's, it's really pushing the, the powerful to help as well. Uh, well, I mean, people, they, they are only bound to their limits within, similar to your Dragon Warrior tattoo. Have you always felt this way? Or, I mean, from, and we're talking about Kung Fu Panda at this point. Have you always felt this way? Or has that always lived inside you? And only from that movie, it's connected you to attach it to, let's say, that image. Yeah, I mean, I, I like cartoon movies, obviously. And I've got the Kung Fu Panda tattoo. Uh I mean, I was bullied, with, you know, when I was in middle school and, and I don't know, I've always been a little bit of a, like a bleeding heart liberal. Um, it's, it's one of those things that I'm losing my train of thought. That, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's like my understanding is that, like yourself, you're very compassionate and, and thinking to, to get out there and, 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 you know, be involved, get in the trenches. And my my question is more related to that thought process and, and this, you know, these morals of your life. I've, I've noticed that the tattoo, the dragon warrior, and, and being bound to your own limits. Now, my question is more about that whole philosophy, those morals, those ethics, like within you. Did that come pre or post, you know, getting this tattoo? Has that always been a part of you? Always looking to help, always looking to get involved. What can you do to push humanity forward um, how can you help essentially? Has that always been part of who you are? Yeah, I, I think I, you know, I've got great parents that raised me. Um, they always worked really, really hard and they're very compassionate people. So, you know, I think that they, they taught me that empathy, you know, quite young. Um, so yeah, I think it's always been in me, but how that's been reflected, you know, obviously when you're a little middle school teenage kid and you're getting beat up, you know, you pick on other kids too. So that there's a cycle of, of violence and, and stuff so you know getting in little fights and stuff when I was in middle school and yeah I have regrets about that kind of stuff um you know it is what it is but you know as you grow and you you kind of get exposed to more people and I think you know obviously going to university and, and meeting people from different backgrounds and different walks of life you know people that have way 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 more than you and then people that have way less than you and I think you know the traveling the more you travel the more you're exposed to people that are different the more you understand that everybody is the same and you can start to like put your, your mind into their shoes and, and, and really, f you know, feel for them. Yeah. Whereas if you live in your own little bubble your whole life, it's a lot easier to just portray people as other and they're different than you and not really, you know, come to terms and understanding of where they're coming from. Yeah. And it's, it's very easy to live in those bubbles, even abroad, like uh, living in Canada, it's for 20 years. I moved to Asia when I was 23. Um, but now I'm finding I'm back in a bubble just in Southeast Asia. And, and getting that travel itch and wanting to get out there. Um, this question's more related to like the mentality of the expat living in the Middle East. Typically in Thailand, 
Um, you, you get all these, the sour expats, well, they do this and they do that and this isn't good and that's not good. But you've really shined light on, on the Middle East and saying, no, there's more outside the shopping malls and, you know, this plastic side to it, which most people don't think of when they think Dubai in the Middle East. That's not what's going to come to mind. Someone like yourself, you got out there, you, you, you become well-traveled in the Middle East to share those stories. But living in the Middle East, what percentage of expats just fall into the Dubai bubble and, you know, uh, even start to talk shit on it eventually, like they're living there? I uh, mean, I, I'm assuming it's there because it's everywhere as a Farang expat around the whole world. Yeah, I mean, it's the same as, you know, people in the Soy Tayyid bubble. You know, there, there's people that get in their bubble that only ever hang out with other expats that, that kind of don't embrace, you know, interacting with, you know, local friends and things like that. But, you know, overall, you know, I work, I was in the Middle East from 2010 to 2016. I came out, you know, here and I was doing a long sabbatical here in 2016. And then I moved to Hong Kong. I did about a year and a half in Hong Kong. And then I moved back to the Middle East um, because I, you know, enjoyed it so much. And I think, you know, one of the big things for me, that if you just look at it as an expat and you just look at it on the surface level, you miss is, is Arab hospitality is unrivaled so you know you go into somebody's house and and they welcome you with fruit with tea you you happen to compliment them on on their on their painting on the wall you're sitting there having a cup of tea and they'll rip the painting off the wall and try and roll it up and put it and give it to you they're like here it's yours and it's like no 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 i don't i don't need your your painting i just i was just complimenting you and they're like if you like it it's yours oh you like my watch here take my watch it's, it's, it's this, 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 there's funny memes on the internet of like, you know, Arab guys trying to fight over who pays the check. And it, it, it's just the most friendly, welcoming place. And it has, you know, perceptions from, you know, the wars that, you know, been fought in the last couple of years. But I think that those perceptions just need to, to change because it, it's such a warm and welcoming place. And, and, you know, parts of it are going through some troubles, like, you know, Lebanon's going through some issues now. Yep. Um, but again, Beirut, uh, the people, the, the the country, it's just the most beautiful, amazing place. And, you know, I'm, I have a lot of regrets that I didn't make it to Damascus before the war in Syria started. Um, it's it's still, is, it's tr you can get there now in Syria or is it? Uh, I haven't gone. Um, uh, yeah. I but don't it's completely know. destroyed, right? I mean. Well, uh, yeah, I'm no expert. Yeah. But, but I had friends that were studying in university in Damascus before everything went down. And the stories of how wonderful the place was just are pretty amazing um well uh, talking more about the travel bug i've i don't know how many countries i've been to 30 40 kind of living i've mostly mostly asia I've, I've been everywhere in asia except for mongolia nepal and palau i guess if that's i guess polynesia i've i've been, I've been to north korea and um i was i was meant to do that yeah, was, yeah did you, was it kyoto tours or? they have the kyoto tours yeah. but i got invited by the government to go played in an international hockey tournament oh nice so i was my friends from japan were a hockey team and they were just i was living in china at the time and they're just like yeah we, we need to get players who's coming it's because it's not cheap i mean it's probably two or three thousand us dollars for five days or something um and yeah we took the the flight from beijing i think it's kiro and if you just type in Kiro Tours or whatever on, on YouTube, whatever your video you're watching, like that's what you're going to see. Now, we yeah. are a bit more lucky because we had the bus and the red carpet treatment, but it kind of goes off. I, I know definitely there's parts of North Korea we're not going to see, and it's probably extreme poverty. 
but at the same time, like Pyong Pyongyang, it it's a city. It's a running city, so it's it's not as bad as you think. I mean, it's not a giant show that they kind of put on YouTube or these scam, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't had the chance because yeah. I signed up to go right when. Um, Trump banned us from going. Ah, okay. um, so when that election and he got elected, there was yes a kerfuffle. I don't remember what we were doing back and forth, but yeah, we were able to go before that, and then we, we weren't. Um, it's just monument after monument. Oh yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like there is something to be said for you know politics and all of that. Uh, I don't want to get into no. the politics, but you know, I can understand why people would have an aversion to spending money there. And giving money and and the perceptions that you are being shown a really curated tour um but at the end of the day you know my curiosity gets the best of me in general it's it's, there's no there's no franchises i mean uh the hotel was so there's there's two towers at the hotel but there are two towers on the top they have spinning restaurants but the other tower they had to stop spinning the one like and i went like five six seven years ago um because they one of the spinning towers must spin past a government building, so they just shut the tower down. Mm. The cool, th- and this is the only hotel you could stay in. Now I know there's another one they were building. It looks like a triangle or something. That's been building built for. 30, I don't think thirty it, years. When I was there, and, it wasn't. Yeah. You, you could see it in the far distance. It could have been a hologram, for all I know. That's that's an interesting yeah. in the architecture world. That's been an interesting project to watch yeah, you, for a very very. We were long like, time. so what about that building? Like, yeah, it's almost done. It, it it honestly it looks done, but it's just I think no one's in it. They have a facade on it now, yeah, from what right. I've seen. But yeah, right. for the longest time, it was just a concrete frame. Um, yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's 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 like you said, it's very a curated tour of what it is. But the hotel, the bread, and they had a brew a beer brewery in it, and the beer was fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, they're going to give you the best experience right. they, they possibly can, right? So that you go back and tell everybody that it's okay. Yeah, it's, so, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are people. And if, if we look at them as if they're alien and we'll never understand, you know, where they're coming from. So, you know, even if it is propaganda and even if it is that... I'm still willing to to meet people and talk with people and, and see, well, it's and it's tons of propaganda. Like yeah. on, on the flight, yeah. even I sat, I got lucky to sit beside a flight attendant, and I just started hammering her with questions, and they are brainwashed. They use oh, what was it? The All Master, Mighty Master. Uh, this is when Kim Jong Il just died, like a mm. year after. So there's something about the Grandmaster, but they talk like that. I think Grandmaster's chess, but... Yeah, I, I can't remember, because, you know, this is seven years ago, and, and yeah. then you read the propaganda books, and, like, it's... The, the vocab and the way it's written almost looks like AI's written it. It's just so terrible. It's just a bunch of vocab written over and over again. None of it makes any sense, but there is so much, like, 1950s propaganda when you drive in with the murals, and... Yeah. It's, yeah, very interesting, though. I mean, all of us have some, like all of our countries have some nationalist propaganda. You know, we've got, it is, you know what you're getting when you go to North Korea. I think you know what to expect. (laughs) I think everybody has a pretty decent understanding of. And I mean, anyone who just watched the YouTube video, you can see what it's about. Um, On on a lighter note, uh, you've been to 72 countries and this question is probably impossible for you to ask without some structure. Um, Like where is your most memorable country you've been to and explain a little bit why? I think... The tough part about that question is always your memories are shaped by your experience and your experience is shaped kind of by who you're with and what happens. And 
you know, some people could have a very, very different experience of a city or a place than I have because I might have met, you know, one of my best friends in that trip. So that's always been challenging. But, you know, in terms of some of the most, you know, epic adventures, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the Socotra Yemen, you know, camping there on that island was absolutely amazing. Um, going to the Omo Valley and, and seeing the tribal region of the Omo Valley and, 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 and you know, being next to a guy from National Geographic filming, you know, the ceremony w- was crazy. I think it's turned, they've, they've got the roads, China's been building lots of highways. I think there's roads there now and it's mm. become a lot more commercialized. But, um, you know, in terms of, you know, cities, like I, I lived in New York for a couple of years. It's one of the greatest cities on the planet. It, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I think every place is really based on the experience that you had. You know, this, this recent experience in, in the West Bank was incredible. Um, you know, as an engineer going to see Chernobyl before they put the sarcophagus over it, that was pretty eye opening. You know, it really makes you respect, you know, what, what you do. And, 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 and I'm obviously not a nuclear engineer. I'm not nearly smart enough for that, but you know, as an engineer, you do have people's lives in your hand and and making sure buildings don't fall down, things like that. So it's always, you know, heavy. It's very heavy, you know, going to places that have had something disastrous happen um yeah i think that the to figure out like you know thinking back what was the best country what was the best location you're you're right it's it's who you're with it's the experience you know i've i've been to vietnam and had a horrible experience it had nothing to do with the country and i want to go back it was just the flight was delayed then it was you know these funny things where it's like it, it was out of the control of the experience of the country and these stuff, these things can happen. More, more on your side now. What's driving you to the next country? And to frame that a little bit, um, for me now, it's the history. Okay, I want to go to the pyramids. Maybe things like Iraq, where they've went in and destroyed the these. Were they like Babylonian, Mesopotamian like statues? Mm. So what's driving me now is I want to get to those places before something happens, and I want like Easter Island. That's okay. I'd love to go see that. Those are it's something unique. What's driving you? Is it the history or the culture? Culture meaning, and sorry, this very long-winded question. Culture meaning like your Ethiopian experiences, maybe going to Tanzania and being with the tribes there as well. This is the cultural experiences. So now when you're starting to think of what's the next country, what factors do you take into consideration? Is it culture? Is it history? Is it buildings? What What's driving you? I'm, I'm opportunistic and, you know... Uh, it's a combination of all the above, right? So there's a lot of places on my list because of natural wonders and beauty. There's other places because of cultural experiences. There's, you know, interesting festivals and things that, that, that I would be interested in going to, you know, um, but you know, some of it's just, let's come up with something fun and, and let's do it. So, you know, with that same friend that I went to Palestine with, we went to Romania before COVID, maybe 2019. Um, so Transylvania, obviously notorious for Dracula. Uh, they have Dracula's castle there, one of the castles. I think it's Bram's castle. They have a giant Halloween party. So we're, me and some friends were like, let's go to the Halloween party at Dracula's castle in Transylvania and, you know, got dressed up as vampires and went, you know. So I think once you break that bug and you get out of your bubble and you start to, to travel, 
you realize that it can be done a lot cheaper than you thought. And you realize that it's a lot more accessible than you thought. I mean, obviously that's coming from a place of privilege. I, you know, I am a white American male with a pretty powerful passport, so I don't need visas and stuff. Um, so I do understand it's harder for other people. And, you know, I've been blessed to, to, you know, have a good career. Um, but you know, staying in a hostel in Asia, you can do it for $8 a night, like with free breakfast and maybe a shot at the bar. So compared maybe going you know, to Switzerland and trying to, yeah, I mean, you know, getting your first flight, the money for your first flight is that is the trouble. Once you do that, you, you know, we were talking before the show about, you know, getting on chicken buses and riding 12 hours on a chicken bus. Yeah. You know, if you, if you're passionate about it and you want to do it, you'll find a way to make it happen. And, uh, you know, what's, what's next for you? Do you have another travel destination that's on that bucket list that you're trying to knock off? I mean, I, I think, you know, related to this podcast and, and, and I think, you know, Phuket, one of the things that slowed me down a little bit in terms of, you know, traveling is that I have found, you know, this maybe second or third home, I guess, you know, Dubai would always probably be considered one of my homes. Obviously Philadelphia and New York would be another, but I think Phuket is, is now my, my third, third home. Um, because, this place has something special. You know, we go, we talk about, you know, people wanting to help each other and, and, and helping people. You know, I first came out to, to Phuket in 2015 for a week, but I, I came on sabbatical and lived here for four or six months in 2016. I lived here for the entire year, 2018. Um, there's something really special about this island and the vibe of the people that live here and as well as the, the expats that are all drawn here and the, the whole fitness martial arts community here is is just such a warm and welcoming place that I've it's not that I've lost the travel bug but I've slowed down a little bit and and I'm not as seeky as I was before because I I, I do have a place that I, I felt feel really comfortable and it's one of those places that you know people in the Middle East or people back home would ask me like why do you like Thailand so much you know are you I don't know if you could say this on a podcast, are you a sex pest or, yeah. you know, why are you going to, to, to Southeast Asia? Like, are you, you know, one of those creepy old men? I mean, I'm getting old, but they kind of have this perception of Phuket being Patong and Bangla Road. And, you know, I've had a couple of friends now come and visit and, and, and change that perception, you know, down in Rawai and in Chelong and now even up here in Bangtao, you know, having a one and a half kilometer long street with a couple of gyms and martial arts and healthy food and a whole lot of people that are just trying to help each other. You know, I've met a lot of people that are recovering drug addicts, or a lot of people like me that have had weight problems their entire life trying to balance that out. And everybody's really supportive, really friendly, and you've got beautiful weather, beaches, you know, 10 minute scooter right away. Well, so. that's, that's the thing I try and let's not boost up. Phuket. I know you have businesses to run here, so you want traffic. <laughs> But people ask me, they're like, yeah, well, I'm not coming to, like, friends will be like, yeah, I'm not coming to Phuket, it's Patong. It's like, yeah, it's terrible. Don't come here and tell everyone else to, please. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the gyms are getting busy, so it's we getting, need, yeah. <laughs> what, I mean, my opinion is I, I can see Phuket, the island, is very close to becoming tainted like Bali. It, yeah. it, in not, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's a, more of an issue with the traffic, meaning... Like if you, I'm assuming you've been to Bali. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, but so, like Chengdu has, it's a similar vibe. Chengdu's great. But yeah. then it's very difficult to go Chengdu, Seminac, Kuda. Yeah. I was in Bali 2008 or nine and you could just go anywhere. Um, I feel Phuket's going to become that where like you have Bangtao and even to get to Kamala is like, you're going to think about it. Like, 
shit, do I have 40 minutes? Maybe it's bump because because Bali's bumper to bumper motorbike traffic mm. and places like Chalong when you're there and maybe coming to Bangtao, if this becomes bumper to bumper motorbike, then when you want to travel the island, you really start to think twice. I, I hope it doesn't come become like that. But with the construction even going up in Laguna, I think it's on route. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it, you're, it's a double-edged sword, you know, being such a great place that people want to come you know, also then attracts too many people at a certain point and finding that right balance is always challenging. But, you know, I, 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 I still, I still like Bali. I still, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a city kid and I'm used to, you know, New York, Dubai, Hong Kong, you know, I've lived in a lot of very busy, very, very populated places. Um, so this still feels a little laid back to me, even with the traffic. Uh, but yeah, I can understand that hesitation to shout at the rooftops, hey, come here, when it's already a little bit crowded. Yeah, yeah it's and it's it's just going to get bigger and bigger, especially these places like Bangtao. Bangtao, seven years ago, there's really nothing here. Um, it's blown up since COVID. Actually, COVID made uh, Bangtao grow because of the pig beach, we call it. Or, uh, there was just tiki huts there, and now you've got, like, um, Maya and beach clubs and beach restaurants. It's all blown up, and... I don't think anything like that even exists in all of Thailand. There's no one spot, I think, in all of Thailand like Bangtao Beach, and hopefully that, that survives as well. Yeah, I mean, I've only been exposed to it, you know, since the boys moved up from, yeah. from Tiger. Um, and, you know, it's it's epic. Obviously, I've got the businesses down in the south, so I stay down in the south. But, yeah, I'd love to come up here more often. I didn't, before COVID, I didn't really know much about anything north of like cafe del mar that was about as far well, it's as a bit, it's far you get you need your passport sometimes to come up here right i mean how long did it take you today 40 minutes 50 minutes yeah yeah it's just certain times it changes like I, I was there on uh the weekend at phuket fight club for the crossfit thing yeah it took yeah about 50 minutes yeah i mean in a car it's brutal and scooters yeah. you can still were like, you on the motorbike or? oh yeah yeah, yeah. zipping in and out like and it's i'm not pa i'm not patient enough to drive a car in this yeah, place yeah, yeah. i'd rather get soaking wet and and weave in and out of traffic than just be stuck you know yeah, it's even, like, we'll take the car going to the, uh, like, Boat Avenue area. And even right now, it's bumper to bumper for, like, 40 minutes just because of the traffic lights and what it gets all backed up. Um, let's jump into your business and what you're doing here. I mean, you've started up your, your restaurants. you got two restaurants going now. And just to kind of backtrack to what you're saying your parents were doing, they're also invo involved in the catering business. Have you always had a passion to get into the restaurant business? Is this your first venture into that? I've always had a passion for food, I think. Uh, Love-hate relationship, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up, you know, when I was like 12 or 13, I started working. Um, and yeah, my dad, when I was growing up, he worked for, he worked at a Mexican restaurant called Casa Maria. Um, and my uncle had restaurants and catering. So we'd always work for my uncle's companies. Um, so yeah, I worked in hotels and restaurants until I basically... When I was 16, I got a driver's license and started working in an architecture firm, but I still did part-time work in, in, in that. Um, li listen, I, restaurants weren't always necessarily the dream, and I think that they're only one part of the dream, and I, there's other things that I want to do. Um, but I wanted to have an anchor here, and I wanted to have an excuse to be here and really set this up as one of my bases. And I also love mexican food and, and i love mediterranean like, mediterranean food and turkish food you're just sick of it like okay, and I was you know like, what there's no quality well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw shade but yeah. but yeah I, I just wanted to have good food nearby and, and have a place that was fun um you know it doesn't take itself too seriously so 
you know, we've got the, you know, we're on fight street. So we've got the luchador mass Mexican wrestler, like Nacho Libre theme to it. So I like to have an excuse to wear ridiculous shirts and, uh, you know, it's fun and, you know, I like good food. So, you know, getting a proper chef, you know, Mexican chef to come down, we brought him down from Bangkok, our Turkish restaurant, we've got a real Turkish chef, um, you know, I want to eat good food and I want everybody else to eat good food too. How did the concept for l- l- the Lucha Libre, how did this come together? I mean, you can go many different directions with a Mexican restaurant. Why this? I mean, we're on a street full of some of the, like the scariest wrestlers in the world. Um, I wanted to, you know, I think a lot of my friends that, 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 that fight MMA, a lot of the UFC and one FC guys that you hang out with, they all grew up with, with WWE and wrestling. Um, so I thought, you know, what better, you know, theme to have on a street full of scary fighters than, you know, uh, mass Mexican wrestling. And, uh, you know, I think having that like cheeky, you know, branding, uh, we can play with it a little bit. So we're just, we're just doing this, uh, hot wings challenge now where we've got like hot sauce that I brought over from the States has like Carolina Reapers, like the hottest chili peppers you can get. So we're doing a hot wing challenge and, you know, we're doing the, 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 the heel, like the typical wrestler heel calling you out, you know, you can't do this. You're, you're, you're going to fail. You think you're tough. You're a big bodybuilder. Look at you with your steroids, but you can't even handle these six little chicken wings. Mm. You know, you can have fun with it, you know? Yeah. That's so. tough. I tried your Poirier, but the hotter one, and just yeah. a little dab. Fuck me. It's strong. I'll oh, do the Poirier is nothing, bro. That's no, not there's, even... You had two of them. Yeah, one yeah, yeah. of them was okay. The other one like kicked my ass. I'm not a super spicy guy. Oh yeah, yeah. You should come try it then. It's, yeah, it's, it's entertaining for me. Yeah, we 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 enjoy watching people cry. Did you watch the show uh, Hot Ones? Oh, it's an amazing it's show. Great. He he does such a good job. At it. Okay, so I have no one steal this idea. I told Joey this is my idea. Um, I don't know what to call it. I was thinking Tuck Tuck Tail Tuck Tuck Tales. But it's that's not going to be the show. It's just the idea. My idea is like it's a mix of comedian and cars getting coffee and hot ones. So what I do is similar to a podcast, but there'll be 20 or 30 minute episodes. I pick you up in a tuk tuk, but we're going to like a Som Tom restaurant or a super spicy restaurant. And we have the hot ones interview. So the interview starts in the tuk tuk, us going there, which adds another dynamic because people get to see Thailand. See, there's always something crazy going on in the road. Like people with 10 kids on there's going to be cool stuff to see on the drive um and then once you get there then you start the interview and the one idea but we could do it with other spicy food is you start with just a samtom and you start with one chili and then we just follow the hot ones recipe you Mm. had two three until the problem is that guy can hold his spice and do the conversation I won't be. I'll be the one fucked up. <laughs> I think that's still entertaining for everyone, though, seeing you cry <laughs> on your own podcast. I thought. I thought it's a. It's. A, what do you think of that? It's a not a bad idea. I'll sign up for that. Right? Yeah. Would yeah, you yeah, do you it? Hundred percent, man. See, yeah. maybe. And and the idea is we come and film it at different restaurants all around Thailand. Now, obviously, I'm not going to take a tuk tuk to, uh, to to the soy, but maybe I, I drive my car and then I take it from around someone there. I pick them up in the tuk tuk. We come to the restaurant. We do the interview. And again, this is like. It's just a YouTube video that's going to be less than 25, like hot ones, about that length. And we just do the interviews, eating this spicy stuff and try to get through it. I think it adds that whole other dynamic. I think you also, when you have, when you introduce the spicy food or you introduce the, the aspect of being in a tuk-tuk with wild things happening around you, people let their guard down a little bit more. And, you know, you the spice distracts you from your own, you get out of your own head, I think. So, you know, you can't think you can't be politically correct. It yeah. Slips yeah. Away. Your, your brain is too focused on holding it together <laughs> and not crying and not having snot drip out your nose. 
So, you, you, yeah, you lose the filter a little bit, maybe. I'll let you know. Maybe you can be our first guest on that episode. We're, I'm dead serious, like, ready to start filming. i got to talk to these guys. I'm not, I don't, I'm not an over-planner for content. Some people over-plan. I believe in just do it and get better. I'm very comfortable crying on camera, and you can <laughs> see stuff. See, I'm going to be head. the one messed up. We might, and we might do the, maybe we'll do the first one at, at your restaurant there. Oh, and if you uh, want to do the Hot Wings yeah. Challenge, you're more than welcome. I would well, love to see think, that. Well, that's the thing. Like, the spicy food doesn't need to be Thai. It just needs to be Thailand. I just want, I want, yeah. I want to see you suffer, mate. That's just, Jeez. that's. <laughs> I know. After after this podcast, you want to kick my ass. No. Um, okay. We, we usually try to keep this under an hour. The especially with I used to do like two and a half hours, and this was pre um, Instagram Reels and TikTok. But over the past two years, because Reels aren't that old, um, everyone's attention spans drop down. So I feel like we're watching the YouTube algorithm. Like we have to reduce the podcast shorter and shorter. They usually go no more than an hour. Mentally, I try to aim for 30 minutes, but it's very hard on a podcast for 30 minutes because it's so raw. With th this episode, there's a lot of editing that can be done to clean it up. Um, just on, on like a, a final note, and I'll, I'll let you go, go off on this point. For speaking about your job in particular, as you're getting into like project management and traveling the world, um, there's some flexibility there and you're definitely privileged in that sense because as most people might understand, project management works in waves. So as you finish a project, you're able to travel. Is that how you're able to travel the world so frequently? You're, you're doing your projects, they last three months and you can take that time off before another one begins? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit different than like software project management and, and things like that. You know, in theory, I do need to be on site a lot so whether it's design or construction most of the time the clients want you to be in the field so you know the last three and a half years I lived in a construction camp in the northwest of Saudi Arabia you know bunch of trailers barbed wire fence um, so it's not quite the same as the guys in western Australia doing the fly in fly out six weeks on six weeks off uh, for me it's yeah I, I try and you know one of the benefits of getting out of the states and Canada is the vacation time. So, you know, I was blessed to, to get 25, 30 days of vacation. So I tried to make the most of that. Um, and I took breaks between projects when I could. So yeah, there was a couple of times, you know, when I did the 2016 sabbatical, the 2018 took a year off, you know, it's really, you know, finish a project and, you know, take some time, you know, live off the credit cards or the savings for a little while. And, you know, YOLO, uh, go for it and see what happens, you know, yeah. then go back to work and pay off the debt that you run up from not working for a couple of years. <laughs> I just was assuming that with the, cause we, we do with LED display, we're doing projects as well. And it's very hills and valleys. Yeah. Everything's hills and valleys. And we take advantage of those valleys. Um, even with my boss, we'll be like, okay, let's take a break. Like, yeah, we can do some small stuff, but mentally, you know, you need a month. Um, do, do you need that as well? Like that, that vacation, you must be working your ass off on those projects, maybe 15, 60 hour days when you finally get into that Valley, like what's that feeling? Like, is it just like a weight off your shoulder? I've never done a 50 hour day, but I've definitely done a, 20, a no, 23 no, like hour, 15, 15, <laughs> sorry. I said, 15. Yeah. uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, honestly, you know, I've always struggled, you know, with, with my weight and it's, it's very much, uh, anxiety, stress related and, you know, happiness depression and one of the you know the things that you know when I'm working I work incredibly hard and I'll do yeah 80 90 hour weeks easy 
um, when you have deadlines, you know, with architecture and engineering, you have, you know, delivery, this is when we're issuing construction drawings, they're going out to market to contractor to tender. So it has to be done this day. And you're trying to coordinate people from LA to Hong Kong, you know, to put together this package with 100 different people doing their part. So yeah, when I, you know, when I hit deadlines, there'll be two, three all nighters in a row sometimes, and you're completely and utterly burnt out. And yeah, you do have to take breaks because otherwise you won't make it. But yeah, you know, my mental health, everything kind of yo-yos back and forth with that, that cycle of, of delivery. And, you know, you can see it in your, my weight, you can see it in my sleeping patterns. You can really see when there's deadlines. Almost similar to like a position of a nurse as well. They're working crazy 12 hour shifts, 18 hour shifts, and then get a couple weeks off and they come back. But yeah, my, I mean, my sister's a nurse and she's telling me and she's put on on weight as well that it's because your sleep gets so fucked up your 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 whole system is just way out of whack well i, I think you you get the, the 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 fight or flight response you know from stress and anxiety that that was a cortisol i think is yeah the cortisol yeah so you're, you're you know you're constantly hitting yourself with, with with hits of cortisol when you're putting yourself in those environments for that long and yeah uh, you know and that's one of the big things I don't want to get back onto the Phuket thing, but the big thing that I noticed here and that I can say, this isn't Bangla Road and this isn't Batong, is, you know, I'm here in nature. You're outside training. You're outside eating. You live a lot more, like, uh, natural than just in your air-conditioned box. And that leads to sleeping better, and that leads to decreasing your cortisol. So, you know the best remedy I've found and that's why I keep coming back to this place is, 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 is travel, but also specifically travel to here and getting myself more in touch with nature, getting myself, you know, more in touch with sleeping a solid six to eight hours as opposed to four, you know, but it's also the con convenience. And I find your life in Phuket specifically, I wouldn't say Bangkok, but Phuket, you, your, your life becomes extremely optimized in the sense of every hour everything you're doing something there's value uh, if you're in the u.s and you're driving to work two hours a day that's not optimized phuket there's no matter who you are working here if you're working in a hotel there it's very rare that you have these commutes on the island maybe if you're an english teacher but you if you choose to live away from your school that's up to you you can live by the school Phuket is very convenient. I mean, I can you can go out, hop on your motorbike, and drive 400 meters to the 7-Eleven, get whatever the hell you need, and come back home. You can't do that in the U.S. You, I come from small town Canada. You can't do that in Canada. It's, there ain't no motorbike. You got to heat up the car, get in the car, drive maybe 10 minutes to the convenience store. Like things take much more time. It's much slower. Here is very optimized, quick and fast. And with that, it allows you to put more focus on the things you want to do exercise maybe you know go walk on the beach do beach do yoga you know even just relax back home or in these cities i find you start to lose a lot time slips away on things that are not so necessary i don't know if that you relate yeah, to that. yeah i completely relate to that and you're also under the weight of so much stress and anxiety that even when you do have a bit of time and you have you know you, you finish work at eight o'clock at night you know you've been working eight to eight you finish, you have an hour, you could potentially go to the gym or something, but you're just so wrecked and so finish, exhausted. Yeah. You only slept four hours the night before because your brain was racking on all the stuff you needed to do in the next day. So, you know, that just piles onto it itself. And, you know, that was why, you know, I was always looking for having a holiday booked every three or four months just to make sure that I could 
have something to look forward to to get through that. And, you know, that's not a healthy coping mechanism at all. Is, is this lifestyle, this system, is this still something you're living? Now, I understand, okay, you're here and you've opened up your restaurants, but do you need to go back to that engineering work? Or is this kind of, are you trying to step away from that? Yeah, so I'm trying to do online. Unless your boss is watching. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to do some online consulting work. So, yeah, the company that I was working for the last three and a half years, I think I'm going to do some consulting work for them online, maybe two days a week, you know, starting in the next couple of weeks. So hopefully I can do that. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. Um, I do want to, I've, I've been passionate about cities and buildings and, and designing better cities uh, since I was 12 years old. So I don't want to walk away from that. But I do want to, I want to get more into helping people a little bit. So, you know, my first step was getting in the door was just getting restaurants. And obviously that's, I'm just helping people have a drink or have some tacos. That's not really what I'm here for, but I do have bigger plans to try and uh, put some stuff together that I think would synergize well with this atmosphere here. With Phuket in terms of like yeah, development like and then the infrastructure. Well, it, yeah, businesses and, and, and potentially a little bit of infrastructure that would, would help complement kind of the vibes that I already feel here that you feel when you go to Chenggu. And I'd like to be able to spread that into other places as well. I think back home there is a need for more, you know, kind of places like this um, back home. Bringing them back to the U.S. Yeah, back to the U.S. I, I wonder think. if it would work there. Like, it's just so expensive in these. these yeah, places. I think there's some spots where we could potentially put something together. So. Mm. Yeah, that's the long-term goal is is really, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, I love what I've done for the last 15, 20 years. I love putting together, you know, crazy high-rise buildings and crazy museums and stuff. Um, but every once in a while, I'll end up doing, you know, condos or, or fancy buildings for rich people and stuff. And, it, you know, it's not as rewarding as, as, you know, I mean, the museums are really cool, but you know, you feel like you, you do, you do want to have some purpose in your life and feel like you're doing something to make things better. So yeah, that's the goal is, is trying to be able to that. use your, your, you know, that creative bone as well, instead of just, I'm assuming maybe the, these richer condos, these high rises, like, is there a lot of room for, uh, not like a museum where you can get extremely creative on the, the design side? I mean, it, it, we've, I've worked on some crazy, the creativity has always been, you know, the, the projects that I've got to work on and I've been absolutely blessed to, to work with some of the best architects in the world and do really, really crazy projects. Well, you, now, are we allowed to talk about you're, you're doing some work in Saudi, but I'm assuming maybe you're under an NDA? Yeah, I'm under an NDA, but yeah, I can say, you know, the last couple of years I worked on Neom, which is a whole new city that they're building in the Northwest. It's supposed to be a hundred kilometer? They want to do 170 kilometer long. Is this possible? I, I'm not going to. Okay. Anything's possible from an engineering perspective. Um, and if anybody can do ambitious stuff, the Saudis are, are, are very much uh, willing and able to, to, to do very ambitious projects. So this is going to, what was it, four? I'm, I'm, I think I read or I'm assuming four. It's got to be four trillion plus to get that thing. Yeah, I, I, I can't comment on any of that. But, you know, from an engineering and architecture perspective, it is an absolute playground. So, you know, the last four years I've gotten to not only work with the best architects in the world, but make friends with the best architects in the world. Um, you know, brand names from every continent. Are you allowed to share, like, where are they at in the project? Like, the ground's broken? Yeah, I mean, there's publicly available. So if you yeah. go and look on the website and stuff, you can see that they've already broken ground and they're digging holes and they're, you know, putting in, you and know, piles. Do they have a projected completion date? Uh, so there, there's obviously, 
no city's ever done, right? So every city is always constantly evolving. But there's a big push for 2030 to have, you know, a decent sized population okay. there by 2030. Interesting. And there's projects that are rolling out, you know, as we speak, you know. Why why are they doing that? Is that to help um, like battle with the heat in Saudi Arabia because it's so, so like traveling outside like Dubai people are just going aircon to aircon Singapore is always aircon to aircon what what was the whole purpose behind this project yeah I mean obviously I can't speak on behalf wow. of the government and you know the, the the chairman of our board was his royal highness the crown prince um, from a strategic perspective I think that the location is some of the most beautiful places I've ever been so uh, if you're familiar with the states and you go um, the southwest of the United States where Monument Valley is, mm -hmm. where they film a lot of the westerns, you see like Clint Eastwood back in the day filming westerns there. The the inland part of, of Neom is is like that. It's beautiful, grant, pink granite cliffs, uh, beautiful mountains, beautiful plateaus. And then it just, the mountains go right up to the coastline and you have the most beautiful sea with incredible coral. Uh, it's strategically located right near uh, the, the shipping, the main shipping corridors that go through the Suez. Mm -hmm. So from a strategic perspective, it's, it's a great place. The climate, you know, everybody, you know, talks about the climate being so utterly hot. You know, where I'm from, there's three months a year where it's so cold, four, four months a year where it's so cold that I don't want to be outside. You know, it just, I, I, you're from Canada, I, I don't like the cold. The, the heat's the same thing, you know, eight, nine months a year, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, the best weather you can ever imagine, probably 250 days of beautiful sunrises and sunsets. You know, it's, it's right across from Sharm el-Sheikh. So it's a great place for a city. You know, I think uh, Saudi Arabia has a population, I think something like 40, 50 million people. So not that big. It's, it, it, I mean, it's pretty big. Well, Canada is like 35. and Yeah, it, it, it's much smaller than yeah. Canada. But, but I think something like 50 or 60% of that population is under the age of like 35 or 40. So it's a very young, very, very well-educated population. So they're looking at, you know, taking some of the thunder away from Dubai and getting some of these global corporations to come and, and work in Saudi. And, and, and the kingdom has, you know, this wealth of very highly educated talent. And it, it, it makes sense from a strategic perspective yeah, to they, grow they, the kingdom. They still, got, they still got their oil, and I think Dubai is almost run dry. I think now it's all they're relying on Abu Dhabi. Uh, Abu Dhabi is, the, yeah, Dubai hasn't had oil for a while, but Abu Dhabi's had it. Uh, um, all right, just, just uh, that was more of a personal, to understand what's going on, I see so much going on. I, I work with Dubai on some LED display stuff, um, and uh, yeah, we're actually planning to go out to Saudi Arabia. I think there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, we're getting hit up on, on different tenders for that stuff. Uh, on, on a final note, um, as a well, you know, uh, you're very well traveled in that sense, 72 countries. As we travel to these countries, we're always picking up tidbits or, you know, magic plans to help you travel for me one example is i think the past four or five years i've really adapted into the fanny pack for traveling the reason for that and everyone i've told after i would say the past five years access to your passport and just everything there boom 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 let's go instead of the backpack unzip do you have any travel tips like what are some of your go-to's whether it's packing or just you know i mean my first travel tip would be calling it a bum bag instead of a fanny pack for our british friends okay uh, they'll, they'll think that one's pretty funny uh so that that'll be the the, the first one. Um, I think the biggest tip is is just just do it, man. So many people get in their own heads about traveling, and I have so many friends from home. They're like, "Oh, I wish we could do whatever." And you know, at the end of the day, yeah, flights are expensive. 
But once you get past that first flight, you know, you can wander and you can get, get by, you know, for the cheap. And it's, it's such an experience and it's so worthwhile that, you know, yeah, you gotta, you gotta work, you gotta eat, you gotta do these things, but you know, it's just get out there and go do something and be curious. I think don't go to a place and just, you know, get drunk on the Bangalore road. Yeah. Don't just go to Phuket and go to Bangalore road, you know, go and explore a little bit, you know, interact with people, you know, have have an experience, I think is the biggest thing. You know, there's practical tips. I mean, you can go on the internet for practical tips. Yeah. I think it's just, you know, just go out and do it. Yeah, I, I, that's that's great advice. I think some of the best travel experiences I've, I've had were unplanned and just go. Uh, living in Phuket, like one, some of the best trips I've ever done is just waking up on a Saturday morning and be like, screw it, I'm driving to Krabi. Yeah, just, just a road trip to Krabi with a couple of no friends plan, can be the best experience just ever. Just go. Yeah. And um, yeah, some of those are the more memorable times when I, I find when you really over plan and think about it too much. Um, by the time you get there, you've already painted that whole experience picture in your mind that it doesn't maybe live up to it or it's not the same. When you have no expectations and you just go and do it and you get there, um, your brain doesn't have time to process about what's going to happen. It just happens. And that's that's my my outlook. Yeah. And, and, and say yes, I think as well. And, and if you're traveling solo, like. You know, people are, there's like negative perceptions of hostels and stuff. Mate, if, if, if you're traveling solo, those are the, even if you don't want to share a room with 12 people, get a solo room in a hostel because they're the places where you have lots of other people that you can interact with or, you know, an Airbnb where you share with the host. You know, when you're traveling alone, sometimes you get lonely. The best place to meet new friends and have crazy adventures is at a hostel at like three in the morning and people decide, oh, at 7 a.m. we're going to go and get this chicken bus and go somewhere crazy, you know. Yeah, just say yes, I think is the big thing. I think there's, like, I I used to do that. I've done that a few times. I I can't sleep in a room with other people. I don't know, it's just me. So I would get the solo room sometimes. But at a certain point now, like, uh, I've been in Asia since I'm 38, well, almost 38 in December, since 23. But I feel like those experiences now, when I get there, I'm looking at them like, they're children. They are. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you do feel old when you're our age there. Um, I guess I'm talking to people a little bit younger. Yeah. But but even then, I've, I've, you know, I've been in a hostel where there's been like a 65-year-old lady just become widowed. And she's out and she goes out for, for drinks and then comes with us. And we go on like a little adventure and go sightseeing. Interesting. You know, it, it, I think every experience is what you make of it. And if you get in your own head and you're self-conscious about it, yeah, it'll be awkward. Mm-hmm. But... You know, and, and at a certain day, I don't, I'm too old to like go out and go on a pub crawl with a bunch of 21 year olds and do that kind of stuff. So I'm not really advocating for that unless that's what you're up for. But just the social aspect of meeting new people and sharing experiences and being inspired, I think is, is the thing for me, you know? Yeah. And the people in the hostels, not everyone's going on the pub, pub crawl ever. Yeah. Find the ones that are hung over because they probably plan the next day not to go out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, on, on that note, uh, I'm going to kick it back to this camera. Oh, we, we definitely went over an hour, sorry. Um, I'll get, kick, kick it back to that camera if you can stare into the depth of your fans' souls. And just let everybody know where they can find you, some of your businesses going on in Phuket, and if they want to reach out to you uh, on your socials as well. Uh, we'll put all that uh, information and descriptions in the link. Yeah, no, thanks a lot for having me. Really appreciate it. Uh, So, yeah, you can catch us 
at uh, Lucha uh, Cantina and uh, the Flying Armbar, both of them on Soy Tayyed, the same street as Tiger Muay Thai. Uh, and our socials are at Lucha Phuket and at uh, Armbar Phuket. And my personal is at Gilby Goes. So awesome! Yeah, I highly recommend check out his uh, um, check out his personal channel. There's a lot of cool, interesting images, uh, like pictures from the places that you've been. But most of what I've seen, and we didn't even talk about diving. I'm a diver as well. Um, it's a lot of places that are not on the beaten or are off the beaten path. So that's why I'm, I got I got quite interested. I'm like, okay, I'm, it's not a typical Instagram of you know rome and this and you know bangkok where it's you know stuff i've seen is it's very interesting so go check it out um and you can obviously check the locations as well and i don't know if you want them sending you dms probably not we'll block that uh that wraps up another episode of the podcast and yeah i never know how to end these things so we're in.